Dear Lord, we thank you again for your goodness to us and your mercies. We thank you that we can study your word tonight. I pray that you would give us uh, grace to learn from you, and uh, I pray that you give me wisdom, and we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to continue our study on discernment this evening. Uh, we're moving into chapter 6 on the will and discernment, or God's will and discernment. And this is a topic that caused me much consternation when I was younger. Uh, so this is, hopefully will be helpful to everyone here tonight. In chapter 3, we saw, or lesson 3, we saw that uh, many, uh, if not most Christians, make a connection between discernment and the will of God. And in the past two lessons, T2 taught us that we, we cite, we, uh, we've seen that discernment is primarily concerned with the truth of God. And in this lesson, we will focus on how discernment is actually related to the will of God, finally. And one of the primary things we're going to see is how the will of God is founded upon and inseparable from what is true about God and how that informs our own decisions about what we ought to do in our life. A book that might be helpful to some people if you want to study this further is a book by Kevin DeYoung. It's called Just Do Something. And the subtitle is worth buying the book over. It's called A Liberating Approach to Finding God's Will, or How to Make a Decision Without Dreams, Visions, Fleeces, Impressions, Open Doors, Random Bible Verses, Casting Lots, Liver Shivers, Writing in the Sky, etc. <laughs> he was trying to be a Puritan there with a subtitle. He almost got there. It needs to be about five sentences longer, but it's a great, it's a really good, very helpful book. It's really short. It's about that thick and about that big. So uh, worth, worth getting, checking that one out. Uh, so we'll start off by saying that God has two wills. And does that sound strange to anybody? That God has two wills. That, okay, so I see one head nodding to, okay, so raise your hand if that sounds strange to you. Okay, so we've got a decent number of people who are, okay, so yes, God has two wills. The first one is his decreative will, and the second one is his preceptive will. Okay, so theologians like to use fancy words that people can't understand. So I'll explain what that means. The first one is God's will of decree, and the second one is God's will of command. Okay, so we have God's decreed will, and we have his commands, or the, the will of his commands. Another way of thinking about this, and this is how I'll refer to this mostly from now on, is God's secret will and God's revealed will. God's decreed will is his secret will. We don't know what God has decreed, mostly. And his commands, what he tells us to do, that is his revealed will. And this is often badly misunderstood in the church. People often want to know, what is God's will for my life? But they say that without really understanding what they mean by God's will. They don't even know that there's actually two wills in God's mind. R.C. Sproul says this. He says, the practical question of how to know the will of God for our lives cannot be solved with any degree of accuracy unless we have some prior understanding of the will of God in general. Without the distinctions we have made, our purpose, 
our pursuit of the will of God can plunge us into hopeless confusion and consternation. When we seek the will of God, we must first ask ourselves, which will are we seeking to discover? So with that in mind, let's discuss the two aspects or God's two wills. So the first we'll discuss is God's will of decree. What has God, what has God actually decreed to take place in time? And like I said, this is mostly secret. It belongs to God. It's not for us to know. Uh, as we read through the Bible, we see at times that God did reveal to the prophets and, and to his people things that would happen. But mostly that's not what he does. That's mostly not how he deals with us. Uh, I, I taught about uh, the prophets recently, and or maybe it was T2. Actually, I think we both said this. Uh, the prophets mostly did not tell the future. Now, growing up, that's what I thought. I thought that the prophets were mostly telling people what was going to happen. And that just shows how ignorant I was about the Bible. But the prophets telling the future is a very, very, very small part of what they actually did. Most of what they did was telling people that they needed to stop sinning and repent and do what God told them to do. So God's will, his, his decreed will, is his secret will. It's mostly not revealed to us. And this includes everything that he has ordained, everything that comes to pass, uh, everything that he ordained before the world was, everything that, everything that happens in time, that is all part of his decreed will. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, the decrees of God are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. And this is what the prophet Isaiah spoke about in Isaiah 46, 9 through 11, which says, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I, will, I also will bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. So God is saying that he is sovereign and that he rules over all things. And that means all things whatsoever comes to pass, like the confession or catechism says. This is actions of humans, actions of animals, weather systems, anything that you can think of that happens, God is sovereign, and he rules over it, and he has ordained it to happen. Yes, that even includes the evil actions of men. The worst act of evil ever committed was ordained by God, and it was ordained to happen to his only son, Jesus Christ. In Acts 4, 27, 28, we read, For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand, that is God's hand, whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So even the crucifixion of Christ was ordained by God. The most evil act in history was actually planned by him. And like I said, his secret will is hidden from us. He has chosen not to reveal his decrees to us. So when we talk about uh, and speak about discerning God's will, 
we are not talking about trying to figure out the future. We're not trying to figure out his decrees. He has not promised to reveal the future to us, and therefore it's something that we ought not pry into. Remember what Deuteronomy 29.29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So we actually see both of God's will in that one verse right there. We see that the secret things belong to God, but the things that are revealed, the things that God has shown us, those do belong to us that we may obey the words of this law. And we'll talk more about that soon. Again, Sproul speaks to this. He says, if our quest is to penetrate the hidden aspects of his will, then we have embarked on a fool's errand. We are trying the impossible and chasing the untouchable. Such a quest is not only an act of foolishness, but an act of presumption. There is a very real sense in which the secret will of the secret counsel of God is none of our business and is off limits to our speculative investigation. In other words, knowing God's secret will is off limits. And so with that, let's talk about his revealed will. So I've mentioned this as God's will of command is his revealed will. And this, this is everything that we read in the Bible that directs us how we are to live. Now, if you're on the internet at all, you might have seen this meme where you've, this, this guy, this little character, he's standing there and he's looking up at the clouds and he's shouting, God, speak to me. And then in the next frame, there's this giant hand coming down and handing him a Bible. That is how God speaks to us. We, we read the Bible. Everything, like I said, in the Bible that, that God commands us to do is his revealed will for us. So the things that we ought to do to honor him. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.3 summarizes what God's will is for us. So if you don't take away anything else from tonight's lesson, take this away. This is for this is the will of God your sanctification. So now you know what God's will is for your life. Your sanctification is God's will. God's will for you is to live a holy life, is to be, become more like Christ, is to glorify him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's to grow in the knowledge of him. It's to love him more, and it's to let the, Christ, the love of Christ shine through us. And the Bible has a lot to say about God's will. And I'm going to talk about three general principles that the Bible talks about. The first one is that God wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, 17 through 18 says, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So understanding what the will of the Lord is, goes hand in hand with being filled with the Holy Spirit. Secondly, God wants us to be sanctified, and I already mentioned this. And then thirdly, God wants us to be thankful. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So these, are the, these three areas actually cover all of life and they display to us what God's revealed will is for us. And this is what Paul writes about in Romans 12. 
So if we look at Romans 12, verse 2, we see this connection being made between the renewing of our minds and with being able to actually discern what God's will is. Verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word prove there says that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That doesn't mean to verify, or it doesn't mean to uh, make an argument for it. It just means a way of testing, of trying, of discerning, of examining, of scrutinizing. Basically, if we're going to see if what we're doing is, is right or not. And when we're transformed by the renewing of our minds, we are then able to discern what God's will is. This doesn't mean that we're going to be able to discern God's secret will. It simply means we're going to be able to know how to live in such a way that we please God and honor him. Ephesians 5, 8 through 10 also draws a line between knowing the truth and discerning God's will. It says, walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. By finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, we find out what his will is. And that should be our desire, to seek out the truth and to practice it, to obey God. So if we are to discover God's will, we first need to discern what is pleasing to him. And we do this in two ways. Number one, by imitating Christ. And number two, by knowing our Bible. Now I'm going to pause here. This isn't in my notes, but... um, The uh, Ligonier Ministries puts out a state of theology each year. And if you've forgotten what it feels like to be discouraged, you can go ahead and check that out. One of the things that they sadly reported on is 43%, okay, so a little more than 4 out of 10 people who claim to be evangelical, born-again Christians, 43% of evangelical Christians agreed with this statement. The eyes are already rolling. (laughs) Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. 43% of evangelicals agreed with that statement. Jesus is a great teacher, but he is not God. Is that shocking to anybody? It was shocking to me when I read that. That's up like 10 or, 10 or 15% from the previous year, if I recall correctly. So what that means, what that means is there's a ton of work to be done. We have a lot of work to do. It's absolutely a shameful thing for people in this country. We have more access to Bibles, to theology, to videos, to blogs, We have so much access to learn about God's word, and we are are so ignorant of it. If we had 100 people in this room, that would mean 43 of those people would not believe that Jesus is God, which makes them heretics, by the way. That is a heresy. It's a damnable heresy. So there's a lot of work to be done. When, When we 
you know, we teach up here a lot and we really emphasize knowing the Bible. This is why we emphasize knowing the Bible, because we have to know what God's word says. Okay, so just a real quick summary of what I've, what I've talked about so far. There's two wills of God, and just to, just to avoid any confusion, these are not contradictory wills. Okay? There's no contradiction in this. There's two wills of God. There's his decrees, which are secret, and there are his commands, which are known. We are not trying to pry into the will of God's decrees, we are to study diligently to know what he commands us. There's three things that he wants us to, 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 be, to be. He wants us to be filled with the Spirit. He wants us to be sanctified. And he wants us to be thankful. And we discover God's will by studying his word. Now, that's all well and good. But I can already hear the questions. Well, But how do I discern what is God's will for me when I have to make an important decision, right? We all want to know that. How do I decide this job versus this job, or should I move or should I not? Or, you know, all these questions, all these issues that come up in our life that are very important, well, how do we actually decide what God's will is for us? How do we know that? Some decisions are going to be very easily decided by looking at the Bible. Others will not be so easy and will require prayer and wisdom, so let's lay out some guidelines, okay? The first one is the easiest one. Where God's commands are explicit, obey. That's all you have to do, okay? So if we're asking ourselves, should I rob this bank? The answer is no, because God tells us do not steal, right? Should I get drunk? The answer is no, because God commands us to be sober. Should I tithe or not? I think that's a very clear yes, you should tithe. Should I submit to my husband? That's an obvious yes. Okay, so when we see the Bible commanding us, we don't question whether we should obey or not. Hopefully that's pretty clear. Although 43% of the evangel, anyway. Uh, so where the Bible contains no explicit guidance, so no explicit command, no explicit guidance, God gives us the freedom and the responsibility to make a decision and choose what we will do. Now, how do we do that? Well, we pray, we ask God for wisdom, and we rely on him, and we choose what is best according to what he has revealed to us. And we're going to talk more about this momentarily. So an example would be, well, which church should I attend? Right? There's no explicit command Steve, you must attend this church. Jim, you must attend this church, right? We have to make a decision. And the Bible gives us guidelines. The Bible gives us principles, which we're going to talk about, about how we would make that kind of decision. Now, when the Bible doesn't give us any explicit guidance and any explicit command, again, we use discernment, just like we would in the previous example. When there's no explicit command to do this, we're responsible for making wise decisions. So whatever the circumstance we find ourselves in, when we've made a choice, we've eliminated the things that God says don't do, okay, so we're not going to do those things, and we've prayed, we've used wisdom, and we've used kind of the guidelines that I'm going to talk about, then we know that we have made 
a moral and a wise choice. And then we just trust God that he's going to work out the details for us. Because we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. An important note, again, we haven't tried to discern what God's secret will is in any of this. Right? We're not seeking revelations from God. We're not looking for a liver shiver, whatever that is. We're, we're, not, we're not seeking inner peace about our decision. That's a very popular one, actually. Well, I've got, I have peace about divorcing my wife, so I'm just going to go ahead and do that. It's like, no, that's not really good. Uh, and, and we're not opening to a random page and then pointing to a verse and, okay, that's God's will for me. Right? We're not doing that either. Now, someone might ask, well, how do I know if I'm actually making the right decision? If, this, if I really have, I've gone through this and I've tried to make a right decision, but how do I know this is the right one? Well, a wise pastor once told me that nine-tenths of doing God's will is being where you're supposed to be and doing what you're supposed to be doing at, at, the, at that time. So most of the time, if you're where you're supposed to be doing the things you're supposed to be doing, you're good. You're doing God's will. If we love God and we desire to please him, that means we're not doing the things that he's forbidding. We're striving to grow in holiness. We're repenting when we we know that we've sinned. And we're ruling out the things that he's forbidden. Therefore, we are in the will of God. We are doing the things that he has told us to do. And therefore, we trust what Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Ultimately, however, we may not know if we have made the best possible decision. There are times when we lay all this out before us, and we make a decision. It's not a sinful decision, but we make a decision, and then things don't go the way we thought that it should have gone. Right? And yet the Lord uses those things to sanctify us because he works all things for good. Any questions? Really? Okay. Okay, so let's talk about understanding. How do we understand and obey God's will? First thing is that it's not instantaneous. Okay? It takes dedicated effort to understand what the will of the Lord is. And yet we are given the ability, as soon as we are converted we are given the ability to discern what God's will is for us. Again, we're not concerned with God's secret will. We're only concerned with what he has revealed. And I'll just say this as an aside. The only concern that we should have with God's secret will is not what it is, but that we are ready to submit to it. That we're ready to submit to whatever God has planned for us. Because oftentimes, what he has planned is not what we would choose. Now, some, some people have made out knowing God's will to be a complicated issue, but the truth is, it's relatively simple. Find out what the Bible says and do it. Understanding and obeying God's will relates to the portion of our def- definition of discernment that speaks of right from wrong, discerning what is right and what is wrong. We could put it this way. Discerning God's will is the skill of understanding and applying God's word with the purpose of separating right from wrong. We're doing everything we can to act in a way that is consistent with what God has revealed in his word. 
That's, that's the key here. We're doing everything we can to act in a way that's consistent with what God has revealed in his word. And this is how we live out what we believe. This is how we prove whether what we believe is accurate. If we do, if what we do is consistent with the will of God, as revealed in his word, then we can know that our beliefs are also consistent with the truths of scripture. Now, every important decision in life requires us to exercise discernment. And these are the principles that I was talking about earlier. So principles should govern these decisions, not special revelation or liver shivers or whatever you want. I love that liver shivers. It's so weird. So an example. Let's say uh, we're considering moving cross-country. What are the things that we might need to think about from the scriptures that would inform our desire to move anywhere else? Yeah, Darren. Is there a good church? That's the first one I've got there, right? So we know that the Lord desires us to be with his people, that we need to, we need to go to a good church, a Bible-believing church. Well, if we're moving to a place that doesn't have a church, then we are necessarily going to be disobeying God. And that's probably the wrong decision unless you're planting a church, you know, unless you're a church planter. Uh, how about will you be able to provide for yourself? Or if you have a family, will you be able to provide for your family? There, if you're living, if you're moving to a place where you don't have any skill that seems to be reasonably in desire, there, you may want to second guess your decision. What are your motives for moving? You know, do we do we want to move to Hawaii just because it's Hawaii and it's amazing there? Is it are we moving strictly for selfish desires that should inform our decision, shouldn't it? Uh, is there anything there that would clearly hinder our spiritual growth? Okay, so these are the types of things that you need to ask yourself. From the scriptures, if I'm going to this place or if I'm making this decision, what are the things that I need to consider from the Bible that would inform me? Another example would be, should I lose weight and get fit? And don't say yes. Should you lose weight? <laughs> so a, temple, a typical answer might be, I'm out of time. Shoot. A typical answer might be, well, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and, you know, it does say that there is some benefit to it, so yes, I should. And even though that's true, there's probably other questions that need to be asked, like, well, how much time is it going to take me to get into shape? Is it going to take me away from my family for hours every day? That's a, that's a problem, Right? Uh, what's my motiva- motivation for getting fed? Do, do, do I want people to just admire me? Or is that more important to me than godliness? Is being physically fit and idle? <clears throat> Obviously for me it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so those are the principles that we need, to, we need to think about. How does the Bible actually inform these decisions? Okay, uh, I'm going to skip a little bit. So going back to Romans 12. Yes, Brandon. Just a quick question. So, you know, going back to the fit thing that you were talking about. Yeah. Um, I don't know nothing about fitness. <laughs> <laughs> well, so in my eyes, like, getting fit is, it is good objectively, right? Um, so 
say you are overweight and you, you decide, hey, I need to get fit. That is a good thing, mm -hmm. right? And you should do that no matter what. Now, if, you know, if, uh, you know, when you, you brought up the family thing, okay, so you don't go work out four hours a day, maybe go walk with the family. Mm -hmm. Or if you're doing it to just want to impress people, well, then, then pray about that, that your heart attitude will change. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I, I follow you, yeah. But I, don't, I don't think uh, we should get fit no matter what. I, I guess I would disagree a little bit with that because maybe it is going to take too much away from my family or maybe it is an idol and, and that needs to be dealt with first, right? So there are considerations beyond just this is an, ob this is an objectively good thing, therefore I should do it, right? Because anything good can become an idol, Right? We, we're experts at making idols out of good things that God has given to us. So, just keep that in mind. Well, I think a good question to ask ourselves too is, can I glorify God through this? It's, that's a good question. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good question too. So let me give you just three last things. I'll try to be quick here. Uh, from Romans 12. The first thing is that our minds need to be transformed, right? We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We have to know God's word, and that means we have to be in it all the time. Our minds undergo a transformation when they are steeped in God's word. The, uh, the Greek word there is, is the word that we get metamorphosis from. So the, a butterfly, is met, or sorry, a caterpillar goes through a metamorphosis, transformation to become a butterfly, that's kind of what happens with our minds when we're steeped in God's word. It's completely changed into something different. And this is not a stage that we ever graduate from. Stage one, we are always in stage one. The second one is applying truth, the truths that we've learned in stage one to every area of life. Some situations are simple. Some situations are complicated and less, less clear. And so we may struggle we may pray, we may ask a lot of people for advice, and ultimately we may just have to make a decision and hope that we've made the right decision, you know, so, as long as we're not sinning. Some situations are not addressed directly and clearly from Scripture, and those are the situations when we need to apply these biblical principles to our lives. And then the third stage is where we live most of our life. We don't have the luxury of praying about every single thing that we do in life. We don't stop and meditate on every word that comes out of our mouth. Uh, we make decisions on the fly. We say things kind of on the fly. And it's at those times, day after day, just in the, the, the daily grind of life, when you're at work or with your family, where the things that are in your heart are the things that will come out. And that, that informs us of... Uh, well, obviously, it informs us a lot of where we need sanctification. So let me just summarize here. Psalm 40, verse 8 says this, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. With God's law in our heart, we can know the truth and delight in obeying God. And then we will be discerning people, godly discerning people. We use discernment to distinguish between good and evil, we use it to learn what God would have us do in any given situation by looking at biblical truth, by separating out the options, 
between the good options and the bad options. We apply biblical truth to the situations we find ourselves in, in daily life, and we make decisions based on what is true about God and what will bring him glory and honor. And with that, let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you are good to us. We thank you that we have your word, and we pray that you would help us learn it, to learn it deeply, to learn it well. We pray that our, our uh, minds would be transformed by your word, and that because of that transformation, we would be able to discern what your will is in every situation we find ourselves in. We ask your blessing on the rest of our evening, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.